Hello, welcome to another episode of Paw Talk. Once again, for those of you joining us for the first time, my name is Melissa Schrader. I am one of the trainers here at Pawsable Angels. And we've been doing lots of podcasts talking about a lot of different subjects relating to dog training, dog behavior, and just what a dog thinks and what's in a dog's mind. Today, I am going to go a little bit of a different route than I normally do, and I'm going to tackle a current event that is happening that I'd like to bring to your attention. Um, so for those of you who don't know, or for those of you who may have seen it recently, um, Caesar Milan is going on trial, um, and we'll talk about why later, but he is going on trial due to some issues with one of his dogs. So the reason why I bring this up is because I call it the Caesar Milan effect. A lot of dog training, the dog training world, has been influenced by Caesar Milan for better and for worse. So, you know, with the with Caesar and his movement that has lasted a very long time, I think close to like a decade from oh, 2004 to 2012 has been his influence. Um, people have watched his episodes, taken hold of his training, and then try and replicate the way he does things. But what I want people to remember is things the way they look on TV are rarely what they are in actual real life. And I know this to be true because one of my cousins actually uh, competed in American Ninja Warrior and was aired on TV. And what it looks like and what they instruct you to do for TV is very different. So having known this and seeing this about Caesar, I've always known that I personally do not agree with his training methods. But other than that, I haven't given him much thought. When this came out, I really wanted to dive deeper into who Caesar Milan is, what his background is, and how could a trainer that is a world-renowned trainer, how could he be being sued for what he's being sued for? Um, and so I really dug deep into that. And, and the reason why I felt this was important was because so many people see Caesar Milan and view him as the standard of the dog training world. And that is not the case. There is a lot of things that people need to do their research with to really understand what's all at play here. So before going any deeper, let's go back to the beginning with Caesar Milan and let's talk a little bit about his background. So Caesar hails from Mexico. He grew up in a small Mexican farm, which was owned by his grandfather. So he helped out a lot on the farm and helped out with the livestock and also obviously the farm dogs that were around. And in Mexico, they had where he lived, they had a lot of stray dogs around. And people started realizing that he had this natural ability to work with dogs. And even as a young kid, his other friends, the other kids called him El, I'm not, I have not taken Spanish, so I will do my best at this, but it's El Perro, dirty dog boy, um, is what that means. Because he would constantly be around the dirty dogs, the strays, and be working with them or be kind of connecting with them. 
So at 21, he actually came to the U.S. He had this dream all along to fulfill his dream and he wanted to be a dog trainer in Hollywood. So one thing to really understand about Caesar is he just, it wasn't that he just always wanted to work with dogs and be a trainer. Caesar always wanted to be famous. He always wanted to be part of Hollywood. And so when he was 21, he actually crossed through a hole in the border fence um, from Mexico to the U.S. And there was a guard there that was meant to guard the hole there. And he bribed a guard. So his dad, um, they weren't rich. They were a pretty poor family. But his dad had saved some money to help him, you know, do like any father would, you know, wanted him to achieve his dreams. So he gave him a hundred bucks. And that was all the money he had to go to the U.S. with. And he used that whole hundred dollars to bribe this guard to let him through the hole. So he crossed through this hole, got to, he was in the U.S. finally, but now he's in the U.S. He's poor. He's homeless. He only speaks Spanish, but he did learn one phrase in English. And it was, do you have an application for work? Do you have application for work is what he learned. So at this time he was living in San Diego. He ended up by just being able to say this phrase, he applied different places and he ended up getting a job as a part-time dog groomer. And they were very impressed. I mean, I, I will say this, I, I am in awe of the determination and the grit it must have taken for Caesar to get to where he's at. I admire that in him. I admire his sense of his you know, work ethic and his sense of not letting anything stop him because he came with literally nothing and step by step built his way up. So anyways, people realized he kind of had a way with the dogs, especially those dogs in the groomers who no one really wanted to touch because they were a little aggressive and he did really well with them. So through kind of word of mouth, he then got a job um, walking dogs in the dog walking industry. And he ended up saving enough money through walking these dogs that he opened his own rehab center in South Central Los Angeles, which is, I'm sure it's updated since then, but which is now known as his dog psychology center. And so once again, word of mouth spread and he was featured in the LA Times in 2002 for this extraordinary innate ability he seems to have with dogs. And so after he was featured in the LA Times, he was actually approached by TV companies. And one of those was National Geographic. And they're the ones, they were also, I believe he was also um, approached by Pet Planet, but they only like filmed one episode and didn't pick it up. But National Geographic decided to air it and picked it up. And all in all, um, the Dog Whisper, which is what it became known as, what Caesar Milan's brand became known as aired for nine seasons and that was from 2004 to 2012 and just a fun fact that was interesting as well he was kind of doing this dog walker um job and in the in that industry before he got on tv he actually became so well known for being such a fantastic dog walker that he walked um will smith and jada pinkett smith's dog and because they just really believed in him and wanted to help him and obviously I guess thought he did a fantastic job, they actually funded a year of English language school for him to go to. So that's kind of how he, his rise to fame. And like I said, you know, 
I, I am not disputing that he may have a natural sort of connection with dogs or a natural way to understand dogs. I'm not disputing the fact that he really worked hard as a hard, hard worker to get to where he's at. Um, but what I dispute is his training method. So we're gonna dive into that. So his training method, he calls it, and this is a quote, calm, assertive energy. And what he means by that is you basically show the dog that you are alpha, which is the dominance theory. And this was a theory that was developed long ago um, out of, we talked about it in another podcast regarding dogs' feelings, but it, it developed out of this first believing that dogs are pretty much automatons, meaning they're very much just like machines, um, and they don't really have feelings, they just react. And so it developed first out of that theory, thinking that dogs really didn't have feelings or didn't experience pain or fear to the degree we experience it. And then it also piggybacked on this theory of dominance, which they were using wolf pack behavior. And they would say, look how the wolves look how they interact with one another. The reason why dogs don't understand us is because we don't act like wolves. And so some scientists got together and watched a bunch of wolves and, and said, well, you know, we know dogs are descended at some point from wolves way, way, way down the line. So if we start acting more like that and take our social cues from wolves, then we will have dog training. And so that's where this all came, this pack leader came from. And how, Caesar believes you establish dominance is through touches, what he calls touches. Um, that's in quotes because his touches are actually punches, punches of the dog. Um, very firm taps, I would say. Um, so maybe he would consider them light punches, but he calls them touches, but they're in effect punches of the dog. Um, now remember, his history comes from working with stray dogs. I mean, the dogs he's working with now and the dogs that most people are watching are pet dogs. They've been domesticated so much at this point and this is actually one of the reasons as science progressed realized you cannot do dominance theory in terms of wolf pack behavior as proof of scientifically that this is the right technique to use when training dogs because dogs have been domesticated so much at this point, they don't behave like wolves uh, in a lot of their social structuring. It's just very different. And so, but anyways, that's what he, he took and ran with it. And once again, a lot of his experience growing up was with stray dogs. So yes, stray dogs are, are going to operate more in the wolf pack mentality because they have not been domesticated. They are very feral at that point. So I just wanted to put that in there. But Caesar is very much about punitive, using punishment to get a dog to do what you want by being alpha. And it, the way he works with dogs in an alpha manner is pretty much what we would consider bullying if we saw another kid doing this to another kid. Um, so it's holding dogs down. It's what these light touches are, the punches. Um, it's correction collars and using corrections. And so luckily around 2012, um, his show was canceled because finally people started seeing his methods for what they were and he crossed the line into abuse more often than not. And um, he still stands by his methods. 
Um, and people to this day still use his methods because they saw him back in 2012 when he was at the height of his fame. But I want to explain what these methods do in the long term. So yes, it looks great on TV. You see by the end of TV that the dog is perfectly behaved again. Um, you can also see this if you are a traditional trainer. And let me caveat this by I used to be one. Did I ever hit a dog? No. Did I use a correction collar? Yes. Did I give a two-handed correction before? Yes. Have I um, made the, um, put pressure, like they call it, you know, pretty much hanging the dog where you put pressure up on the collar until the dog submits to you in a sit. Yes. That's how I was trained when I first started in the service dog field and service dog, even, you know, today there's still a lot of schools that use correction collars and use punitive methods to train their dogs. But I am happy to report that with the advancement of science and as we learn more about how dogs think and how dogs learn, there has been a shift in the school that I used to work for and learned this at no longer does that. They actually use positive reinforcement. So it's come a long way, but I'm saying this, I'm telling you this to tell you that I come from this place. I am not just someone who's always been a positive reinforcement trainer and I, I you know, my world is full of sunshines and sunshine and rainbows. I know and I understand the mindset behind using it. To use those methods, you almost have to numb yourself to what you're doing. I remember the first week I started doing methods like this on dogs, I cried. I came home and cried and finally realized this was my dream job to work with service dogs and this is, must be how it's done and it must be the right way because it's been this way for years so I had to harden myself to it um, until I finally woke up thankfully to it. But when you are using these methods you will get quick results. I am not saying these methods don't work to change a behavior. They can change a behavior and they can change it quickly, but the damage you do psychologically to the dog is unrepairable. And at the same time, nine times out of 10, especially if you're dealing with like aggression or reactivity due to fear, you make the problem 10 times worse using these. It's a quick fix initially, but in the long term, you pretty much bite yourself in the butt is what happens. Um, Whereas positive reinforcement takes a lot longer to work, but it actually changes the dog because we're changing the way the dog thinks, not just acts. So having said this, let me tell you a few things that are now coming up because of this lawsuit of what actually happened. So, you know, you see an, you see an episode aired of Caesar Milan, Dog Whisperer, and you're like, oh wow, he fixed that dog. That looked amazing. Well, let me tell you, um, in 2006, so two years after he'd already been on the air with National Geographic, he was sued and um, he was actually sued by his um, producer. His producer thought Caesar was so great that his producer sent his own dog to Caesar. And hours later, just hours after he had been in Caesar's care, so the dog was sent to Caesar Milan's rehab center. And hours later, the dog was rushed to the vet and the dog was covered in bruises. He was gasping for air. He ended up suffering a severe esophageal injuries and that was from a choke chain, which ended up ultimately requiring surgery on the dog. So he was sued um, and what people, 
came out later was that one of his training methods was forcing a dog to wear a choke collar and run on a treadmill. Um, and that's what caused a lot of that. Now the bruising, once again, maybe he was doing his touches with the dog. I don't know. Um, but also in 2006, there was a dog and I saw this episode. It was a really interesting episode. It was one of the only episodes I ever watched of Caesar Milan and I just happened to catch it and then I wouldn't watch it after that. But a family came to him asking help for their dog. Their dog was brought in. The dog was growling and snarling uh, when it had its food or its ball. It was pretty much what we call resource guarding. And so anytime the kids would come near it, it would kind of growl at the kids to stay back, maybe even snap. Or no, not snap. It was just growling and snarling, showing its teeth. Um, and so they called Caesar in. And Caesar took it in the backyard, dumped a bunch of food on the ground. And anytime the dog got close, he did his touches on it and was being very dominant and the dog was scared you could tell in that episode by the end the dog ended up biting caesar and i think the episode ended with him convincing the family that the dog needed to come to the rehab center his rehab center and needed you know more intense training and the episode ended with the family being reunited and seeing how well their dog was by Caesar showing that he could reach his hand down when the dog was eating, the dog wouldn't do anything. Now for people who weren't dog trainers, what they didn't see is I watched that and I watched Caesar stick his hand in and I watched the dog become fearful. I watched the dog pin its ears back and start panting, I, uh, severe stress response. I watched the dog trying to avoid the situation, so trying to look away. And in Caesar's mind, and what a lot of people saw was, look, he fixed the dog, but that dog was not okay. And it comes to find out that um, later on, the family ended up having to surrender the dog to Caesar full time. Like they had to give him up because now, the, when they went to Caesar, the dog was just snarling and growling. By the time Caesar was done with it, the dog had progressed to full on biting. And they couldn't obviously have that in the house, so they had to re-surrender the dog back. And I don't know what happened to that dog, but he was re-surrendered permanently to the rehab center. Then in 2015, there was a dog named Gust, and he was released from the psychological center. Um, he was in training for probably some reactivity. Now, there is some debate on why the dog was released. Um, some people say, you know, the dog, they, the owner couldn't afford the money, and so they released him. Some say that the center did not want to release the dog, but did it anyways. However, after training, only six days later, this dog attacked a nurse, um, and the nurse, her hand, I think it was her hand, was mutilated um, by the dog. And I, I'm giving you these instances because this is what traditional training can do. This is the damage it can do long-term that people don't hear about. They just see the quick results and how great it is. And if you're lucky enough to have a really submissive dog, which is why this typically works, what I say works, that's air quotes, works in service dog training is because most of those dogs are bred to be submissive anyways. So when you add corrections to a submissive dog, they just shut down, which looks like a well-behaved dog. That's not a dog that's being well-behaved. That is a dog who's completely shut down and afraid to do anything for fear of a correction. 
With more aggressive or dominant dogs you add corrections, this is what you're gonna get right here. You're gonna get bites, you're gonna get lawsuits. And this is why Pauzables does not do this. And this is why science has since discouraged this kind of training. Now, why I bring all this up and how this even uh, kind of came to be was you heard me say about a lawsuit coming up. So, Caesar Milan had a dog, a pit bull named Junior. Um, and this has just come up. Um, his dog has been has, is older now and has recently passed away, actually this past July, but he did raise this dog as a puppy. And that's one thing I wanted to check into after this allegation. So the allegation was that there is a gymnast named Lydia Matisse, and she is accusing um, or suing Caesar because she was viciously mauled by Junior, this dog. And the reason why I want to look that up is because as dog trainers, a lot of times we do take on dogs that have bite histories or bite issues. And so while this is horrible, I wouldn't have blamed Caesar had he been one of these dogs that he tried to rescue or save that already had issues. But I come to find out he actually raised this dog as a puppy. And so this dog has been privy to his methods since puppyhood. Pit bulls are not inherently just vicious dogs. A lot of it is how they are raised. Yes, their genetics were to do bear hunting or bear fighting um, or bull baiting. And so there are some things in there that can make them reactive. However, there have been allegations of more than just this one mauling. Um, but because I didn't really have the time or feel like digging all the way into it, I just picked this one out. So. In 2017, Lydia Matisse um, said that she was walking into her mom's apartment. Her mom was one of Caesar Milan's employees and lived in his apartment building that he owned. And Caesar decided that he was going to be walking his dog in the apartment off leash and letting his dog roam the halls off leash in his building. Now, mind you, Caesar know, has known that his dog has been known to attack other dogs, attack people, yet this is still what's going on. And as she was visiting her mother and was coming up to her mother's door, uh, the dog saw her, ran at her, and mold her to the point where um, she is no longer able to do gymnastics. So she was considered kind of a pro level um, and now she cannot do gymnastics anymore. And so this happened in two seven, 2017. It's just now all coming to light. Um, and then in 2018, there's an allegation that Lydia has brought forth in addition to this that um, Caesar decided that he was going to help Queen Latifah's dog. She had two dogs. And they were going to stay at the psychological center and he was going to help them. He calls Queen Latifah and tells her that her dog was hit on the, ro on the road by a car and died. What is being alleged is that that's not what happened. That his dog, Junior, got a hold of the dog, was off leash, ran at the dog, and mauled the dog to death. Now this all has to be proven in a court of law, but I'm saying that to, sh to, to reflect the fact that Junior, who was a dog he raised from puppyhood, had a history of aggression towards people and dogs. Hmm, why would that be? A puppy who was raised 
in a good environment. He was, you know, it's not like this was a stray dog that had had dealt with not having food or anything like that. But when a dog gets like that, it's because they were abused. There's trauma there. And I'm telling you, he loved that dog. Do not get me wrong. Everything, I mean, Caesar Milan wrote a moving tribute to say goodbye to his dog. I think he loved that dog. But this is what his training methods can produce and will produce. And this is what traditional training does produce, is if you're lucky enough to have a submissive enough dog, it will just shut them down. And then yes, you're gonna feel like you have the best trained dog and the best behaved dog in the world. But when you're not lucky enough and you have a dog that's either a beta or a dominant dog, a dog who will not just shut down, they go into fight. So when dogs are being abused and they have trauma, they go into fight, flight, or freeze. Really submissive dogs will either flight, flee, try and run away, or they'll just freeze when they can't get away, which if they're connected to a shot collar or a choke collar, they will freeze because they can't get away from it. Initially, when you shock them or do a correction, you may see that they try and run away. And then when they realize they can't get away from it, they just freeze and shut down. And the trainer goes, ah, I did my job. I'm the best trainer. The dog is no longer having a behavior. This is the same like if a dog's reactive to another dog and that's what people do. They shock the dog or they correct the dog. But once again, if you're lucky enough to have a really submissive dog, the dog will just shut down and you're gonna feel like you did your job because your dog is no longer reacting. For those who do not have a submissive dog, your dog will turn aggressive. Um, and so I say all that to just be very careful of what trainer you decide you want to be training your dogs. Be very careful of trainers you see on TV. I don't care if it's Victoria Stilwell or Caesar Milan. Do your homework before you just blindly follow a trainer. And you might be thinking at home, well, how do I know if a trainer's good or not good? There's a couple things you should look for. The first thing is definitely look at their background. What kind of education or schooling do they have? And I'm not saying that trainers have to have a certain degree to be good trainers. I'm not saying that at all, but what I am saying is, have they had an apprenticeship anywhere? Have they worked with mentors? There are a lot of trainers who are self-taught trainers and they can be fabulous trainers. I'm not saying either that self-taught trainers are bad trainers. What I'm saying if someone is self-taught or if someone just goes to a two-week school to learn how to be a trainer and they stay in this isolated bubble and they don't have a mentor that's working with them. They don't have other trainers, not under them who they're bossing around, but they don't have other trainers that are um, at the same level as them, comrade, com comrades, comrades, camaraderie. Uh, if they don't have that, they're not growing as a trainer, they're stuck. I know this because I've done both. I've gone and have been under a mentor and then I tried to do it all on my own with no other feedback and it's very isolating. So you wanna look for a trainer that if they are self-taught and they haven't gone through an apprenticeship, who mentored them? Um, who mentors them now? Do they have other trainers equal to them in their training level that they can bounce ideas off of or is it just them and if they if you know if they are the head trainer under other trainers then they're not necessarily learning a lot they're telling people their way to train you want to look with do they continue their learning if they 
you know, maybe went to a two week school to learn to be a trainer and then they just started their business. They're all by themselves. They, they don't surround themselves with other trainers. They don't have a mentor and they're, they really, if you ask them, so what continuing education are you doing? And they don't have any continuing education. Those are trainers that are stuck. They're stuck in their ways and they know one way to do it and that's the way they're gonna do it. And nine times out of 10, that one way they know how to do it is by using punishment. And the reason they use punishment is because they don't know how to get in a dog's head and they don't know any better. They don't know any different. And they haven't been challenged by other trainers to do it differently. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you know this, but Michelle is our founder and director of training at Pausables. And for those of you who don't know, I actually owned my own um, organization, service dog organization before I came to Pausables. And so while I am under Michelle and she's the director of training, she hired me on and we are actually collaborators with one another because I came to her as a full-fledged trainer. I came to her on an equal training uh, field and I was also a CEO of my own company before I decided to merge my company with Michelle's and kind of dissolve my company and work with Michelle. So it's been so great and I, I would think Michelle would say this too, it's been so great to be able to bounce ideas off and hold each other accountable and say, okay, well this didn't work, how can we do it this way? Or what about this? And that makes you grow so much as a trainer. But when you're training by yourself and you think your way's the only way and your way's the right way and you don't wanna listen to other trainers and you're not doing continuing education because I'll tell you what, the science of dogs and what they think and the science of training is constantly evolving and constantly adapting. And if you're not adapting with it as a trainer, then you're not being a very good trainer. And so that's what I would look for if you're seeking out a trainer on whether they are good or not is first, you know, what, what kind of experience do they have? You know, are they self-taught, which is okay. And that's not a bad thing, but did they have a mentor as they were being self-taught or did they literally, you know, go to a school for two weeks and then say, oh, I got this and start their, their own training. And then that's where they've stayed. They don't have people that they've hired on that are their equals that they can bounce things off of, that they can grow. They um, work, usually these people work by themselves. Um, and they're not continuing to learn. They're just stuck and stopped. And um, a lot of times become very defensive if you try and approach them with new ideas and new ways of training because they're gonna feel threatened because that's not the way they know. And yeah, um, so definitely do your research. Do your research on who you are going to have as your trainer what kind of apprenticeship they've had, what kind of mentorship they've had, what kind of continuing growth they're doing. Those are all important things to know about your trainer. And even whether it's an in-person trainer or not, if you're going to follow a trainer on social media or on um, TV, once again, do your research. Because once, you know, people thought Caesar Milan was it. And little did they know that he never had any training. He never had a mentor. He never had other trainers pushing him. It's just whatever he knew, whatever he taught himself, and he took that as truth and implemented it to severe, severe repercussions. So if you have been influenced by the Caesar Milan effect, and it's been that you would like to follow the Caesar Milan effect, I beg you to reconsider. 
And the other takeaway from this is before you decide to get on board with any training from anyone, any trainer, please, please, please do your research on that trainer. All right. Have a good week, everyone.